Welcome to the QI Chat Room. I'm your host, Max Perret. This podcast is brought to you by the Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We are a network of community health centers in a wellness education nonprofit across Marin, Sonoma, Napa, and Yolo counties in California. We formed in 1994 with a mission to improve access to and the quality of care provided for uninsured and underserved people. We've been hosting these podcasts since the fall of 2019, and we hope you join us as we share the latest in health topics. Today on our podcast, we are very excited to have Rebecca Boyd Anderson as our guest. Rebecca is the Director of Population Health at Partnership Health Plan of California, PHC. She has a passion for data analysis and health policy, and as Director of Population Health, seeks to build collaborations between providers, county services, community-based organizations, and the health plan to provide uh, benefits to everyone in PHC's service area. Rebecca has nearly 30 years of healthcare experience across a range of payer sources and hospital-based care. She has served on the DHCS Population Health Workgroup for CalAIM and NCQA Workgroup, developing the new Health Equity Accreditation Plus Standards, a workgroup with the California Improvement Network, developing a racial equity toolkit for primary care and payers, and has been invited to serve on the new DHCS Population Health Advisory Group, representing health plans. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us. Thank you, Max. I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and as said previously, Partnership so, so appreciates the collaboration with RCHC. So I do want this to be an interactive discussion. Um, I have some of our newest initiatives that we're going to be presenting to you. Um, but I, I really want to give you a context for how partnership is looking at population health and now really weaving in the states and the um, NCQA's mandates for health equity. So to give you some insight into um, who partnership is, um, I want to look at our demographics from a perspective of equity. And so as of January 2022, 632,170 total members, 52.6 of them are female, 47.4 are male. Um, in the 0 to 20 age group, 39.7% of our membership, 51.1% of our members are between ages 21 through 64, and 9.1 are over 65. To clarify, those are members spread through our 14 counties, and we are not at this point a Medicare program. We are um, strictly Medi-Cal. Um, for our demographics, 78.7% uh, of our, our members are English-speaking, 18.5 are Spanish-speaking. Our other threshold languages are Tagalog at 0.5% and Russian at 0.3% of our population. And then there's 2.1% of our uh, population that is other language. For race and ethnicity, 39.3% of our population is white, 29.2% is Hispanic, 11.8% is unknown or other, sorry, 7.9 is unknown, 
5.4 is black, um, rolling up the various Asian subpopulations combines to 4.2%, and we have 2.3% Native Americans. This data is data that we are going to be mandated to collect. Um, we are obviously already collecting it, but as we move forward into um, future CalAIM requirements and DHCS requirements, this is the beginning of the data that we're required to report on. However, as we move forward just in the near term, um, in order to align with CalAIM population health and NCQA health equity accreditation requirements, we are going to be capturing member culture and linguistic needs, including multiple options for race, ethnicity, and subclassifications. Um, what that means is right now you have to choose whether you're Hispanic or Black or Asian. There's not a multiple choice option, and we want to allow people to give us a full picture of their ethnicity or race. Um, we are capturing members' preferred format for communication. That includes things like Braille or audio format or um, sign language interpreter. And then we are really working to uh, capture uh, SOGI information, which is sexual orientation and gender identity. NCQA, let me step back. CalAIM is requiring health plans to become um, NCQA health equity accredited. Um, we don't have an exact timeline on that accreditation, but we have had a chance to look at those standards. And the standards are going to require that we capture this information about the providers themselves. Um, so we'll be looking um, over the next few years to capture race, ethnicity, language spoken fluently, um, and sexual orientation and gender identity. We also are going to be required to develop culture and linguistic services programs. Um, that is an NCQA health equity requirement. It does overlap with activities that we're already doing, um, but NCQA labels them slightly different than the state does. I'll pause for a minute to see if there's any questions on Rebecca. Well, this is Michelle from RCHC, um, and Rebecca, I'm just curious if these uh, cultural and linguistic needs that are collected by the health plan, um, if they're also available uh, for the assigned providers. You mean um, I, yeah, pro provide? Yeah. I believe so. Um, they, they certainly are available on our website um, as broad, broad sweep. Um, information, but we can take back a request to make sure that they're available to share with providers. And then I was also curious how the provider information is collected. It has not been collected yet, okay. and our provider relations and QI department are about to learn about it in the next three to six months. Um, it, this is a brand new standard that just was released in September of, of 21, and um, we literally just purchased the standards about three weeks ago, and so we're just beginning to work through how we're going to implement this with providers. So one of the visions that we've had uh, for uh, addressing equity is recognizing that a health plan really cannot do much on its own to improve equity in any location, and that health equity is in a lot of ways structural, and so Partnership is is really seeking to figure out how we can work towards structural equity 
with strategic partnerships. So at the top of this diagram, um, we talk about healthcare. By healthcare, we mean all of healthcare. We mean the payer side, the provider side, um, the uh, clinical and non-licensed staff. It's um, it's a huge part of what we think of. However, we need to address equity through the business and industry practices in our region. Definitely collaborating with public health, which has such a big responsibility and view into this, um, working with community-based organizations, working with the education system, and also working through justice involvement. Um, there are some really excellent projects that are going on in these areas, and I know uh, Sonoma has some very, very innovative uh, processes that are bringing like the health action together and, and aligning a lot of these these structures themselves. Um, but I, I think this is a, an area where healthcare and payers have are being pushed by the state and um, some of the very express goals of our government, our administration and, and also with the CalAM project. So each year, partnership is required to do a population needs assessment, which I call the PNA. Uh, this was previously a group needs assessment. It was an every five-year requirement, and it was not widely shared, certainly not the details. Uh, it aligns with some of the hospital uh, community assessments that are done every three years, but our PNA is performed now annually, and this is the third year that we've done an annual PNA. And it requires that we look at partnerships membership from multiple viewpoints, um, starting with member demographics. Then we look at some <clears throat> larger data sources like county health and county health rankings and healthy places index, among others, to look at some of the social influencers of health that are in each of our counties. We review our HEDIS measures to evaluate member chronic conditions, preventive care, and their behaviors, behavioral health. We review CAP survey scores and other survey scores to evaluate member satisfaction with programs and services. Uh, the state HSAG provides us with a view of our uh, HEDIS measures by member self subpopulation, so they show us our HEDIS performance broken down by race and ethnicity. Then we look for other gaps in service that may arise just as we're scanning um, our activities in our horizon. And then we're required to create an annual action plan to address these identified needs. And I do want to say that after having done this for two full years, we've realized an annual action plan really is unrealistic to move the dial on a lot of these measures. And so although the action plan is updated annually, many of the activities carry forward year after year. <clears throat> and, and the 2022 PNA is just in the process of being written. Um, it will be shared on our website after it goes through all of the approvals, including DHCS approvals. So that will appear at about July on our website. But the current action plan, uh, 2021 action plan items included increasing the proportion of non-English speaking, non-white, non-Hispanic members who are reporting grievances. So this is one of those um, items that came from our overall scan 
of the environment, we looked at our grievance reporting and noticed that 50 or about 60% of our grievances in 2020 were reported by our white population. And as we previously said, only 39% of our population is actually white. And so we are really looking at, um, from an equity standpoint, it would seem logical that actually a lot of the non-white, non-English speaking people may have a lot more to grieve, but they aren't, don't have access to that process. So um, this is a multi-year initiative that we're working on. Um, another thing that we worked on last year is providing video remote interpreter services at provider sites, and we've rolled that out over the last year. We did a pilot and then expanded in, I believe, in October, and that has provided a lot more real-time uh, interpretation availability at provider sites. And just to note, if you are not familiar with the video remote interpreter services, I invite you to reach out to our team um, and we will get you that information. Um, so uh, I'll give, I'll provide those, those contact information at the end of this presentation. Um, Another requirement uh, for NCQA and DHCS, uh, we are actually ahead of the actual requirements, but we are providing two trainings a year to address health equity knowledge gaps for PHC internal staff. So in 2020, what that looked like was we had, we brought in a, a speaker to address gender awareness with our team. Um, we've had some that that was a very rich discussion. We also have um, uh, online learning on equity that was a, a mandated learning for our team. Another thing that we've noticed is that our um, Af American Indian Alaskan natives are this this particular measure says increased breast cancer screening participation rates for American Indians Alaskan natives. However. Truthfully, we've noticed that the uh, that population is um, has low scores on virtually all of our HEDIS measures. And so, while historically we've looked at HEDIS measure by HEDIS measure for discrete interventions, when we step back, we recognize that there's a disconnect between our way of delivering health and the American Indian desired experience for addressing health. And so we're really seeking to do, start with a listening um, tour in a way and, and learn a lot more about how American Indians evaluate their health and what their priorities are um, so that we can collaborate on improving their health. Um, and yes, eventually it would be great if that would improve their HEDIS measures, but but from a population health perspective um, and an equity perspective, we're really wanting to support their efforts and um, recognize that that our measurements of them may be different than their measurements. So um, in our northern region, um, we do have some gaps specific in our northern region, and Partnership just moved into the northern region in 2013. So we are looking at making some inroads into uh, pediatric care for sure, and two of those measures are asthma medication ratio, and then also improving Hispanic-Latino participation rates in well care visits for children aged three to five. Um 
Rebecca, for the uh, increase in the proportion of non-English speaking, non-white, non-Hispanic members reporting grievances, um, what what has been the process to kind of figure out where, kind of how how do you go about figuring figuring out uh, how to increase the proportion, or or kind of what what sort of strategies yeah. are you employing? Thank you. That's a um, that's a really challenging measure, and. Two years ago, it was really an aha, wait a minute, what are we going to do about this? And so the first thing we did, um, our grievance team revamped their entire grievance form. And it used to be, you know, like seven pages in triplicate and, you know, you can't fill out anything. Um, and it would provide really confusing information, like give us a detailed, briefly give us a detailed description of what went wrong. It's like, well, brief or detailed, what do you want? <laughs> so um, we they modified that form significantly, and that in and of itself moved the dial by almost 5% shift towards um, fewer English-speaking uh, white grievances to increasing the proportion of, of our desired population. This year, one of the things we're recognizing is um, is literacy in any language can be a huge barrier. And so if all of our explanations on how to file a grievance are only provided in written format, um, we're going to have barriers. And so what we are doing this year is a series of small videos, uh, two-minute videos to introduce uh, members to our services, and we're going to have those translated into all of our threshold languages. Um, but those videos are going to include, first of all, like, what is this PHC card? Like, I have a PHC card. What do I do with it? Um, and then how to choose a doctor, how to use the transportation services. And then we're also going to develop one um, along the lines of how um, – we want you to be happy with your services, but if you're not getting things the way, even even avoiding just the word grievance, but saying how do you report your frustrations with the service. So um, our health education team is working very closely with our communications team and member services team in order to to move the dial on this. But there's also an underlying sense of, of we have to establish trust and if if members feel like we're not going to do anything with that information, why would they grieve? And so we we really need to establish um, ourselves as as listening and being responsive to their grievances and being visibly responsive to their grievances. And that's this is one of those that um, I'm really excited about working on this. Um, because I think it really will show how are we moving on some of those really hard to measure actions like establishing trust. Thanks for that question, Max. Any other questions? All right. So, 
that I've been talking kind of about our framework for the, how we think about health equity and the drivers of our decisions in health equity. Population health as a department was established two years ago at partnership. In fact, February 10th, yesterday was our birthday, so now we are two, and um, one could say the terrible twos. Um, but we are really working to define what does population health mean at partnership. and the some of the predominant values that we have as a department is that we are a collaboration between partnership and communities and it is extremely important to us to gather and share community resources um, with our members and with our provider partners we want to collaborate with providers counties and cbo's to address community health and wellness issues and we're really focused on starting with understanding the member experience and their barriers to care offering member support for well care activities and provider providing member health education. I will say that when um, the POP Health Department was created in February of 2020, in March of 2020, we learned about this thing called COVID. And in April of 2020, we were uh, charged by our leadership to reach out to members, uh, vulnerable members, and kind of give them some talking points and guidance on how to address COVID themselves. That meant we called 60,000 plus of our members over a period of 10 weeks. And when I say call, we physically dialed partnership staff, called and reached out to each of those members. Um, There were over 100 partnership staff that were engaged in that activity. And it was really a fascinating activity because it's one of the first times that we ourselves have done the calls. We didn't use robocalls or any other technology. And to hear members who were suddenly sheltering at home and feeling really isolated, um, there was a lot of surprise that their health plan cared enough about them to call them and talk to them about their experience. we can't duplicate that effort. We don't have a hundred staff members who are also suddenly set home and trying to figure out how to organize their day. Um, we don't have the resources to do that fast of a call campaign, but wow, it was such good information on, um, on understanding the member experiencing and experience and then offering them support for, for what they were all experiencing. So in 2021, our overall pop health activities included um, a lot of different efforts. The the biggest thing we spent time doing since uh, August of this last year is attending and supporting COVID vaccination events. Our population health team has uh, some dedicated staff members who who pack up and drive to wherever the event of the day is happening and whichever of our 14 counties it's happening. Um, they bring they bring incentives for members who are getting vaccination. They bring um, swag, uh, partnership water bottles, frisbees, whatever it is, depending on the age group, and really collaborate with the organizers of the events to share that information with our members and the community and make sure they're well attended. Um, we've attended probably over 100 events since since August, 
and um, this effort will continue with that level of energy through the end of February, and then it will be a little bit more focused in certain counties as we ramp up some of our other planned activities. We also have a dedicated team that does outbound calls. They do those in support of HEDIS measures, but I, I call it upstream of HEDIS measures. So uh, we, we do a lot of work on pre- and postpartum visits, but we also do pediatric well-child visits um, and immunizations. So what happens is when a member has a baby, um, when we are told that that member is pregnant, we enroll them into our, our Growing Together program. And then as that child is enrolled in partnership benefits, so whether they're enrolled in within 60 days of birth or three years of birth or whenever it is, as soon as that child becomes a partnership member, we reach out to that family and um, provide information on uh, the benefit of well-child visits and help them get connected to their provider and um, really strongly support that relationship. That's what I call upstream measures because HEDAs can't be measured for each individual child until that child has exceeded some of the um, timeframes. Um, so our goal is to to do those early interventions to start getting them in early so that they're um, meeting those those measures. Another version of that is the adolescent immunization um, group. Again, those those are evaluated after the adolescent should have had multiple series of vaccinations. And we start talking to those children um, and their families at around either age 11 or 12, depending on the provider's wishes, and really encourage them to maintain that relationship with their provider, whether or not they're scheduled for an immunization, just to encourage the ongoing work. Um, our outbound call team also does outreach to vulnerable members in other situations. And as we know, wildfires are, are just chronic now. Um, as well as issues with planned and unplanned power outages. So when we know our members are being impacted by um, something of that nature, um, even if they're not in the actual wildfire zone, but their area is getting really poor air quality, we reach out to them and um, make sure that they're getting the medical care that they need. They know where to pick up their prescriptions and um, alternative providers that they can see if they need to see when things along that line. We also have a team of health educators who are responsible to develop and maintain a health education library. Our goal with our health educators is that we want to make these these training materials available to our members and to our providers. So uh, I think RCHC is is richly blessed um, in that you have maybe more resources around health education than some of our providers, but we want to make sure that every provider in our area, um, if they have something that they want to talk to our members about, that we can provide them with um, a postcard, a poster, um, and a flyer that can explain some of the the things that providers are trying to do with their members. So if somebody's newly diagnosed as diabetic, we want to be able to say, hey, these are your providers going to, the ABCs of um, 
diabetic care, for example. So A is for A1C, B is for blood pressure, and C is for cholesterol. So just giving giving our members, this is what your provider is going to want to work with you on. <laughs> so um, supporting the providers with that. We also, uh, and I think uh, some of you are familiar with this, but we have a group, um, a team that is our community outreach representatives. And what they do is they go out into the community and they identify resources in the community that will be a benefit to our members. Um, we maintain community resource library on our website. Um, those are printable resource lists organized by county. So anybody can hop onto that and print out a quick list and hand it to a member. It I know Aunt Bertha and Unitas and other organizations have that in, in more of a database format. Ours is a little more low tech, but we do but we do validate our resources every six months. And um, we also go to community events and share partnership benefits with those community resources as well. So, for example, if we go to First Five, um, a First Five meeting, we can say, here is the benefit uh, for the growing together, healthy babies, healthy toddlers, um, healthy youth, and try to make sure that anybody in those communities is aware of how rich their benefits are. Um, and so, and then we also participate in community-led initiatives. And we do that at multiple levels from our CEO, Liz Gibney, through some of our regional leaders. Um, and then we also have part, uh, population health staff, and it just depends on um, the scope of the community-led initiative. I'm going to pause on that and see if there's any questions on what Pop Health has been up to. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, one question I had on the uh, health education library, uh, how would someone go about uh, accessing uh, those materials, especially during COVID? Yes, that's a great question. The health education library is posted to our provider website, um, on the, the provider portion of the provider website, and we can send out a a link specific to that following the podcast. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other questions for Rebecca on the activities in Pop Health? All right, seeing none. Okay. So there's also some other projects that related to population health, but not specifically overseen um, or initiated by population health. As you all are aware, we have the CalAIM Enhanced Case Management Benefit that went live in January. Um, this is a huge sweeping change in how we engage with our members, and it is designed to be a local face-to-face -face case management um, support for members with really significant needs. Um, we are launching our community supports, which was previously known as in lieu of services. Um, again, those are, uh, are non-medical interventions, 
designed to address some of the social issues that are complicating um, health care for our members. They're designed for our highest risk members. Um, what may be less well advertised is that we have a workforce development committee and that committee is started out of our northern region um, but is looking at how do we address some of the the economic issues that are driving poverty and the concerns of our members. And a big one of those is lack of viable job opportunities and lack of opportunity to get um, an education that would even allow you to apply for a, a good job. So we have, um, in partnership with Sacramento City College, developed a community health worker scholarship program for people who want to um, take advantage of the new state funding for community health workers. Um, this would allow them to get into the the program at Sacramento City College and become trained and certified as a community health worker. Um, other work along those lines is recognizing that even filling out an application to go to college is a stretch goal for a lot of our population. And so we want to look at how do we provide education on filling out a FAFSA, FAFSA form or some of those other, you know, how do you even apply for school? How do you sit through and uh, meet the minimum requirements for attending school? So um, this is a really a long-term investment in our members. And um, I'm really thrilled that the um, that partnership has taken this initiative and then I've talked previously about our member education videos that um, our health education team is doing in conjunction with uh, our community <clears throat> sorry our communications team Michelle yeah I, I fantastic updates. I'm really excited about the community health worker scholarship program you mentioned mm -hmm. at Sacramento City College. Do you know if that's a online program or if it's in person and do you know kind of a timeline on on where that's at and if it's available for our region so it it is there were the initial applications for the spring semester were already due. Um, I believe it is an online program. Now, what's interesting is I know Sonoma County is also offering um, a community health worker training and scholarships and support, and they're doing it through um, San Francisco City College. So the curriculums, I believe, are shared. Um, I know Lake County has their own community worker health worker training program. Um, so there are a lot of these going on in the area, but if you have individuals who are really great candidates for this, um, please refer them to us and we can find out the resource closest to them and most accessible to them. Um, because I, I am also really, really thrilled with this um, opportunity. Education videos, uh, how would someone uh, locate those? And are those something that, that we can help uh, disseminate for our CHC. Oh, it would be awesome if you guys could help share those. Um, right now we're planning to post them to our website and um, probably to our social media sites as well. But we will take back the idea of um, sharing them with our providers so that providers can make them available to members. That would be fantastic. 
Well, if there's no other questions, I am so thankful for this opportunity. I um, feel like I've learned a lot um, just in our discussions. Our, in order to reach us, we have a, a help desk. It's the email address is pop health outreach. That's for population health outreach. So it's pop health outreach at partnershiphp.org. That website is monitored. If you are sending over a member question like, hey, I've got somebody who wants to be a community health worker, please um, be sure to put secure in the subject line and um, not put any member identifiers in the subject line. Um, but otherwise, um, anything that you want to put in, even if you can say, hey, I want to talk to you about this benefit or about the community health worker program or any of the other things that were discussed in here, um, that we will get back to you. Thank you for joining the QI Chat Room podcast. We appreciate you, our listeners, for joining us today. If you have suggested future topics, please email M-P-E-R-R-E-Y at rchc.net. And please follow us, the Redwood Community Health Coalition, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye for now. Till next time on the QI Chat Room.